Hello again, and welcome to Killing the Great White Male. I am struck... Well, okay, I'm struck by a couple of things as I say that. First off, I sound cheery every time I say it. And and I don't know if people know what that means for me. Because bluntly, killing my great white male was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. I'm looking forward to releasing a bonus episode soon so that you get to like chew on that with me a little bit. Um, but that's... I, I know it sounds a little weird because it does mean the end of certain privileges. And... Like, what's on the other side of it is just fucking incredible. So the other bit is I'm doing today's recording unscripted. Um, I've, I recorded a bunch before uh, going on vacation for a couple weeks, and I feel like they got formulaic. So I'm going to go off script, and uh, that means I'm going to fuck up and stutter and say lots of ums. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, in the meantime, there we go. There's an um. In the meantime, uh, today's episode is is a lot of fun and is really incredible. We, we <laughs> again, certainly not scripted. So I hope you I hope you enjoy the conversation, the beginning of this conversation with Dallin uh, about uh, Brene Brown's book, Daring Greatly. Let's do our best, Patrick Stewart, and engage. Hello. Hi, Dallin. How you doing? Hi. I'm good. 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 We are live and rolling. Are you ready for this thing? Uh, ready as I'm gonna get. <laughs> <laughs> I have the same reaction because we're gonna have a conversation about shame and vulnerability. Right. Yay. <laughs> Here we go. Yep. I've been amazed actually. Um, just like, uh, since reading the book re like just the noticing of how much shame is a part of systems that I see every day and just really didn't see the same way that I see it after reading, uh, the book. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like from my family growing up to so many of, of my parenting behaviors with my kids to like my <laughs> Madison has been huge on She-Ra and she's got the whole family watching it. And so I watch it during my workouts and like watching the interactions between um, Glimmer and her mom, I just like, oh, my God, they're talking about shame, <laughs> you know, just constant. Like, <laughs> that's oh, what that's shit. about. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. So there we are. I guess we should introduce you. Um, so uh, <laughs> Dallin and I were talking about this ahead of time and I'm, I'm giggling because I think we spent like eight or 10 hours in the same room, talked for, yeah. what'd you say? Like 15, 20 minutes, I would say, probably through throughout the weekend, like sporadically. Yeah. You know, it, it wasn't a huge thing. It was like, hey, how's it going? And then, you know, we talked, I think, briefly over by your campsite once. Yeah. Um, but I don't remember the conversation. I don't either. Um, and, and I mean, part of it was we were in a legislati legislative session for um, yeah. a group that we're a part of as, as yeah. leaders. And so we also worked together in that capacity. But... Um, Again, we were talking ahead of time about just like, so what clicked? Why did it click? What was there? Yeah, I don't know. I It, it was funky. Just like, like I mentioned, I just felt like I connected with you on whatever level. I don't know what it was, but like I felt like we were old friends instantly. Like, Amen. Uh, 
And so, you know, when you said, like, should I introduce you? Should you introduce yourself? Like, how much do we really know about each other? That's when it kind of clicked in my head, like, wow, weird. Like, I haven't known Royce for like, you know, 20 years, (laughs) you know, so there's not actually a whole lot that we know about one another. So we're kind of feeling that out, too. Um, It's but yeah, so I guess, you know, my name is Dallin, and I know you through Amped Guard, which is the live action role playing hobby that we both do. Um, And I was interested in your podcast. So I said, yes, let's read a book. And little did I know it was a book that I absolutely 100% needed to read at the time I read it, <laughs> you know, it just, I don't know how or why, but that's what happened, you know. So just so like at this point, let's pull back the curtain a little. This is how this works. Um, I find somebody I want to talk to and then I send them a picture of my bookshelf um, and my bookshelf has a bunch of books on it that as I prepare for my PhD, I'm like, these are things I have to be reading. And there's also holdovers from like things clients have sent me and things that I've gathered over the last several years as a, as a coach. Um, and so one of them was this book by Brene Brown, Daring Greatly. And so when you, when you were like, let's do this one, part of me was like, oh man, it's like not quite as edgy as a lot of the stuff I've been reading, you know, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Also like vulnerability, which is, is what I, you know, I do a lot of this work anyway, so I kind of think that I know a thing or two about it. Yeah. <laughs> and so then, like, page one, oh, fuck, I don't know yeah. anything. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Like, I, I heard vulnerability, and I was like, okay, vulnerability, well, I'm an open book, you know. Like, right? if you read my Facebook, and you know that I, there's nothing I won't talk about, there's not anything I won't discuss about my mental health, you know. I'm an open book, so yes, I'm vulnerable. No. And And she goes over that, you know, she talks about how, you know, quote, quote, oversharing about your life is oh, not God. vulnerability. They're not the same thing, you know? And so I was like, damn, I'm an oversharer. <laughs> I'm not vulnerable on a regular basis. I'm really just oversharing about things in my life, you know? But, I, I, but yeah, how I, little I actually... back on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, I'm convinced also that part of the reason we connected so hard and fast is because there is a level of vulnerability in our habits, um, there's something about the way we um, notice each other, saw each other, and connected. Mm. That requires yeah. vulnerability, right? That's true. Because acknowledging that, yeah, yeah, because it, it like because I'm I'm right there with you. There's definitely like what I, one of the things I appreciated about that portion of the book. Um, I'm trying to remember the page. In fact, I think I just looked at it. Um, but she talks about like the difference between you know oversharing and sharing contextually appropriate stuff within a relationship and it helped me really evaluate oh gosh that's why that thing didn't land that's why that didn't create intimacy or um it's because i wasn't really being vulnerable i was actually using my shit as a defense Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. Um, yeah absolutely so it it helped me think about that and kind of look at like moments like this like where where you and i connected or like my my uh, co-host, uh, co-creator for Where's Your Heart, Torian, like just these yeah. little cracks of vulnerability when for some reason two people, and uh, it's significant too that, that it's two men, um, yeah. happen to have vulnerability in the same moment um, yeah. and a willingness to connect in the same moment and the yeah. connection happened, right? Yeah, and acknowledge it. You know, and not just go, oh, I'm going to go over here now, <laughs> you know. Well, yes. <laughs> yeah. I left something in my tent. You know. Bye. See yeah. ya. Yeah. 
absolutely accurate. No, that's very much it. So Yeah, actually, I'm looking right now at the quote. There's a quote from one of the researchers. She said, um, and the quote is, far from being an effective shield, the illusion of vulnerability undermines the very response that would have supplied genuine protection. Yes. So, like, yeah, you know, that illusion of vulnerability or, you know, <clears throat> ignoring it when you feel it is not protective. It's damaging to you, you know, over time. Whoa. Okay. So as you read that this time, I heard it differently um, than, mm -hmm. it, than I did when I read it. Because part of what I heard there is like what happens the, often when I'm in leadership positions, I have a tendency, like I, I grew up on all the 80s leadership shit, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, like my old saying was first aboard, last ashore. Like just the notion that as a leader, I showed up before anybody else and I left after everybody else. Oh, yeah. 15 minutes early is on time. <laughs> yep right like oh and for me it was normally like hours my dad was a band director um my mom yeah. was a, uh, when she wasn't being a homemaker she was a choir director like I was always the first person there um and it, that type of over functioning um was a hallmark for me through the 90s in in all the leadership and growth that I was doing um yeah and it like what I just heard when you said that was what happens now when I build a a group, a team, a community, deliberately with vulnerability at the center, not mm -hmm. me at the center, but vulnerability mm. at the center, right? Is yeah. I don't have to watch my ass because we all, like we all know that it's not our armor with each other. It's our yeah. ability to operate in the world and know that we are connected deeply. And that is so yeah. fucking hard for me to trust. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it, it's it's cringy almost. <laughs> oh, not almost. Yeah. <laughs> like, right? I can yeah. feel it ripping. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, that, that's actually a really good uh, topic because uh, right now I am – and I'll give a little bit of context just for people who aren't familiar with the Amped Guard group you know, with the LARP, it's, it's a huge, you know, international organization. And I think people have a tendency to kind of go, Oh, you know, it's LARPing, you know, but, but it's a huge part of people's lives and yeah. the people who participate in Guard, it encompasses a lot of what they do and, and how they inform their hobbies and that kind of thing. So it's a big, important thing. It's a community. You know? It's a community. Like, and I, when I try to actually, describe it to people. It's, yeah. I, I describe it as like this, this is my church. Like, right. Right. Yeah. Like it's, it's all the same types of meaning making stuff that I used to have in church. Um, yeah. that this is kind of where I exercise those, one of the places I exercise those bits. Sorry. Keep going. Yeah. But no, yeah. that's fine. I, I just, yeah. But yes, it's a community. You know, I exited the church, I think when I was like 10, I was like, no, I'm done, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, but yes, it's a big community thing. So it's not some little like throwaway thing, you know, so, uh, so when I kind of contextualize it like that, I'm leading my first team, you know, yeah. um, internationally. And I have mm. six people who in the beginning, I felt like, okay, I'm responsible for these people. I'm responsible for making this work. I'm responsible for, you know, putting forth a good, strong leadership face and, you know, um, all that, you know, but the people that I'm leading are probably a good 20 years younger than I am. Mm -hmm. And they came to the table with a very different 
feel like they were the ones that came to the table and felt collaborative and were willing to say, Hey, you know, uh, if I need help, I'll ask for it. If you need help, feel free to ask for it. You know, so they kind of brought the vulnerability to the team, you know, and it was fantastic. You know, I was like, okay, so they kind of took the pressure off of me to be like, you're saying that, that eighties, you know, invulnerable, uh, Freaking! What was the name of the main character in Wall Street? Gordon Gecko or whatever, you know. Goodness, just that yes. huge, yeah, just that huge, you know, presence that has all the answers and knows everything and doesn't get, you know, flustered. So, so it was really cool to not have to be that way from the very beginning, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just it's really exciting. God, that's incredibly cool. Yeah. That's huge. <laughs> It's, it's been a, a, like one of the struggles for me, um, in, in startups and in like when I was, um, when I was in leadership here in, in our region, um, is learning how and when, like there are phases during startups when there, when it's okay I don't think there has to be, but when it's okay for somebody to jump out in front and say, let's go. Um, but that phase, like, like even when I was in regional leadership here, it just lasted too long. And it, it mm-hmm. like, I, I let it last too long. I was trying to do the coalition building and stuff, but it just, it, so it, it's one of those things that I just feel like the sooner we get those of us who are raised on that over-functioning leadership model, the sooner we get out of that way in startups, the better off the organization is. Because um, mm-hmm. it there, there are times when, you know, one of the team members has to throw the thing on its back, on, on our back and just be like, it's going. Um, yeah. But it, yeah, man, absolutely. it's weird. You're doing fine. You know, that, right? that's what you need to hear, you know? Yeah. Because yeah, the the overachieving part of the brain is just like no, I still I have to be here, you know. And it's like no, you really don't. You no, know? put it down. It's yeah, yeah. As, as so, there were a series of questions in the beginning of the book that I think are right around this topic. For for me, this is a leadership thing. This is a parenting thing. This is a like human thing. So, I'm incredibly excited to to like chew on it. Um, yeah the first section that just made me like put the book down and go, holy crap, I'm screwed. Um, like, at, well, okay. I think I have four dog ears before this one. If that is any like clue to how many times this book, like <laughs> gut punched me, um, yeah. page 25. And it, part of what I appreciate is she, she kind of pulls back the curtain a little bit and talks about her methodology. Um, she has really strong append, uh, appendixes in the back where she goes yeah. through and outlines, um, how she did it, the, the numbers. I was actually quite surprised, for example, the book felt really white to me. I've been reading a ton mm-hmm. of feminists of color, uh, black feminists. Um, last, I, I think nine months, I'm, I realized as I started the summer, I'm not sure I read anything that wasn't written by a woman of color um, right. for nine months there. So uh, I, I was concerned about that. Um, and I held that concern throughout the book and then looked at the breakdowns, um, she, she actually did a really solid, not, I shouldn't be surprised. She's a solid sociologist. Um, yeah. but she did a really good job of having everything documented and her, the diversity in, in what she had there seemed pretty strong. I was also yeah. concerned like about gender. Like I feel like, and she acknowledged it a couple of points, but several of the books that I've read this summer, 
have not acknowledged gender as a spectrum as much as yeah. I feel like we need to. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think she, the, this book was written in what, 2015? I think. Mm, oh, let's see. She's, I want to say. Like she started this research literally 20 years ago. Yeah. And, so. and she mentions like uh, when she started the research and when she got to like the original publication of the book, it might have been a much older book. I think maybe the. 2012 first printing. Yeah, 2012 was yeah. when it. So even now, like in 2020, gender is hugely different, right? Yeah. Because I'm coming at this material as a transgender guy. Yeah. You know, I'm not a cis male. I wasn't raised in white male society. You know, I was raised as uh, what people believed was a woman in a Latino family, which, you know, is a thing all its own. <laughs> which uh, has its own stuff. Yeah, you know. So, yeah, it's it's completely different, yeah. you know. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, that one of the reasons I was excited to talk to you, Dallin, is exactly that. Because mm -hmm. when when I have conversations with cisgendered white men, mm -hmm. we we often like we don't I, I don't know. I spent 30 years in the great white male prison like <laughs> it, it coming out of that was such a painful process. And I was in such hard denial. And that's mm -hmm. what I see from many of us. Um, mm -hmm. and so when I, for my friends who have transgender identities, they often mm -hmm. by having crossed what, you know, the U S wants to show as a hard line, which it isn't, it's right. bullshit. It never has right. been where this is a fucking false construct. Let's be yes. real clear. Biologically, yes. it's not true. Uh, socially, it's never been this way before. Um, yeah. so this is a construct that this country has put in place to control people. Um, and it doesn't yeah, benefit it absolutely. So, so that's there. Yeah. But when I talk to especially transgender men, they have this awareness of like, no, all this shit happened. Like, do you want to talk about that for a second? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think we talked about it a little bit before the, this started and we wanted to be sure to say that I'm speaking from my own perspective. I'm speaking from the perspective of a single transgender guy, not yeah, yeah. transgender people. So don't, you know. If you're listening and you're curious or or whatever, don't take it as I'm speaking for transgender people because I'm definitely not. I'm speaking for myself and I'm speaking for averages, you know, that that I've encountered. Are, are so, we going to suggest not that tokenism is still really bad and part of really problematic systems? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tokenism. Let's just talk about that system for a second. First off, there's a couple of concepts that I think we need to like know as great white males because they are things that we have utilized um, to try to create the illusion of diversity. I'm going to unpack that as best I can off script. So, yes, we're still not scripted here. So I'm just going to I'm going to babble and hope we get it right. So first off, when we talk about tokenism, tokenism is another side of the coin that uh, folks in what are often called minority communities that I'm going to just call marginalized identities. Um, it, they're the other side of something that a lot of folks experience also as model minorities. Um, tokenism is, oh God, we watched the Goonies the other day, a movie from the eighties. And of course you had to have one non-white dude in, in the Goonies group. Um, and in this case, they chose an Asian kid. Um, and that's 
that's tokenism kind of at its finest. Um, it's, well, let's make sure that we're quote unquote diverse. I'm making air quotes. Um, but it's not actually diverse. It's just saying, oh, we got five white guys. I guess we should include a black kid in this movie. It's total bullshit. The other flip side of that is the pressure that the single minority in the room, the single person with a marginalized identity often experiences. And that's where they end up under the pressure of being a model minority because you're expected to fucking stand there and express the values for the entire black community, which is just as diverse as the white community or any other community of people. But this person is supposed to somehow, because they're the only fucking one in the room, is somehow supposed to stand there and embody all of that, the entire diversity of an entire identity in one human being. It can't happen. It's bullshit. And it's got to die. When we create our systems, uh, when we create systems of government, when we create systems of business, when we create systems in our family, we have to be putting marginalized voices first. If we're going to have systems of power like this, the most important thing we can do to undermine them as white men, especially, is sit down and shut the fuck up. That right there matters more than anything else we can do. If we want to have more diverse systems, it's not just about hiring people of different colors, skin. It's not just about hiring people who sleep with somebody that we wouldn't necessarily sleep with. It's not just about uh, checking to make sure that we have wheelchair ramps. It's about changing the way we operate. In Where's Your Heart on Mondays, uh, that's uh, the live stream I do at Torian, Mondays at 6 p.m. Uh, Eastern, 6 p.m. Eastern. Um, we often try to make explicit and clear that what is queer about what we're doing is not just that it's a black man and a white man having a, a very honest and authentic conversation. It's about the fact that we connected over vulnerability which is something that men are taught is weakness. And we have found to be exactly the opposite. We have found it to be our most important strength. So that right there is what we're talking about. When we undermine the system that creates strength as invulnerability, invulnerability, when we talk about the system that creates strength as muscles only instead of what, what do our emotions have to say about a topic, when we talk about a system, and this system is not just here in, in my world, it's in every business I've ever been a part of, it's in every uh, uh, community group I've ever been a part of, like think about the structures that we create. How many of them are the entire groups makes the, make the decision? No, we elect our representatives, and then those representatives elect one person, and you can see yourself climbing the pyramid and creating a pyramid system right there so that you end up with one person on top, and that person is thought of as being on top. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have leaders, and I'm not saying we shouldn't be willing to follow people. I am saying that the second we create these pyramid systems, we've created hierarchy, and that is not the only way to operate. In fact, it is a way of operating that cooperates very well with the patriarchal, capitalistic, racist society, ableist society that we have created. And we got to kill it. And those of us who are great white males, we have to be there to kill it. And then we got to sit down and shut the fuck up because we got to learn other ways of operating. 
because this one has benefited us. And the part of our brain that wants that is going to keep trying to get it. So there's our goal right now, folks. What are you going to do this week to step back? What are you going to do to step back and have somebody with a different perspective other than great white male step up and lead something? And yeah, that's going to mean a brain drain of of sorts. It's going to mean that some decisions in our businesses, in our communities, eh, maybe they feel a little uncomfortable. Maybe a lot uncomfortable. Hey, maybe shit goes totally sideways. So what? Guess we're going to have to learn that we also have resilience. So there's the challenge of the week. What will you step back from? In what space will you shut the fuck up? In what space will you not be the first person to respond? And I got to hear as I'm saying that, that I'm saying it all as though you are the ones doing this. And I got to wonder where I'm going to do it too. So thanks for listening. Thanks for putting up with the unscripted (laughs) exit from the conversation. I look forward to hearing your thoughts. Talk to you soon. Looking forward to our next episode next Monday.